Hey, welcome uh, to The Revealing. This is Pastor Frank at One Baptist Church here in Jacksonville. Uh, we hope uh, everybody is uh, staying safe and uh, enjoying their time with family at home. Uh, we know we're living through a, a, a pretty rough time, but uh, hopefully we can take this time and just uh, be able to uh, just uh, reflect on some things and, and be able to uh, remember uh, that uh, time with family is important. And uh, although, uh, you know, we're not able to get out and about, uh, being able to stay home and uh, be able to hang out uh, with our friends and family uh, is, a, is an awesome time as well. Uh, obviously, with everything that's going on, uh, we have uh, halted our recordings of The Revealing uh, and, uh, uh, for, you know, for the obvious reasons of staying safe. Uh, so what we thought we would do uh, for uh, the uh, uh, upcoming weeks is uh, maybe give you some uh, uh, some excerpts of some of our preaching that we do here at One Baptist Church in Jacksonville. Uh, what we're going to do instead of uh, uh, bringing you uh, the revealing crew, uh, we're going to take some weeks off here uh, for uh, the foreseeable future and uh, just uh, play some recordings that we've done uh, at our church uh, in One Baptist Jacks. Uh, so hopefully you'll enjoy those things. Uh, again, uh, stay safe, and uh, the Revealing crew will be coming back at you live here soon. Uh, so we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Uh, after the flood, right, we were talking about this, as I mentioned before I prayed. Uh, just a, a very quick recap um, as far as where we left off last week. I, I just a quick, because I already kind of gave us everything, but... Um, the, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how um, God has this theme, this plan through the Bible, right? Uh, it's, it's the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God and, and how uh, way back before Adam was on the earth, uh, it was through Lucifer it, uh, who was um, reigning and ruling over both of those kingdoms. And uh, he, he was doing that until iniquity was found in his heart. And we read about that in Ezekiel chapter 28, and, and we see what was going on there in Isaiah 14. And, and once he did that, once, once that was found in him, uh, the Lord, in a quick hurry, he, he put him in his place. And uh, so he, he, he uh, banished him. Uh, Lucifer lost the crowns. He relinquished both the crowns of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And they were given to Adam, right? And that's why we have uh, God creating man in the Garden of Eden, uh, it's not just some out-of-the-blue, bizarre, whoa, where did that come from? Uh, I think a lot of times we, or, or people who read that, it's like, oh, okay, we take that for granted. We, we assume, um, well, it just had to be, like he had to create people. Well, did he? I mean, if Lucifer hadn't fallen, we probably wouldn't be here right now. Um, so he didn't have to do that, right? But there was a reason that he did that. And... Um, so, so Adam was ruling and reigning, uh, and then, of course, him and his girl got into some problems, and they couldn't keep their hands off the tree of light, or the tree of knowledge of good and evil, excuse me, and so they sinned, and um, God had to take care of business, and so he, he, he put the curse on them, and that's Genesis chapter 3. And then we talked about a synopsis with Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 5, the genealogy where Adam begins to... Uh, reproduce uh, men, uh, or excuse me, offspring, uh, no longer sons of God, but sons of men, uh, children after his image and his likeness. And, and so because of that, he has lost the crown. Um, and, and then 
uh, Genesis chapter 6, some really crazy things are going on with the, the fallen sons of God and the daughters of men. And then, uh, so God's like, okay, no more. Uh, so God s- sends the flood and uh, he, he, he wipes everything out, save eight people. And uh, this is kind of what we're going to pick up uh, this evening. And we're actually going to pick up the pace a, a bit, quite a bit here, actually. Um, I won't talk faster, so don't get too excited. But we, uh, we won't go through each event as we have with such detail and scrutiny, because I, I just want us to get a foundation. Uh, I, I don't want to exhaust a, a study on eternity past and, and every nuance of that. Uh, I'm just trying to get us set up for our study of church history, right? Just don't lose. That's where we're headed, okay? And so um, those things that we've gone through and are going through tonight are extremely foundational. Um, you may, again, maybe thinking, what in the world do these things have to do with church history, right? I mean, we're talking about church. Like, well, it, we'll get there. I, I promise you that. Um, but we went through those things to understand God's plan for the universe, God's plan for the earth, and God's plan for your life. And I hope you're beginning to see that now. I hope you're beginning to see why going through these things is so important. And so last week, as I said, we talked about the flood there in Genesis Genesis chapter 8, uh, verses 15 and 16. And God said unto Noah, uh, go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife, and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. And so what we have here is God, so we, we kind of, we just skipped the flood, right? Again, we're not exhausting this, uh, but, but um, God says, okay, get out of the ark, you and your wife, your sons and your sons' wives with thee. And so God is starting over, and there's a new king on the scene right now, and it's Noah. And he is king over the kingdom of heaven, uh, and because God gives him, notice this, the same dominion that he, that God had given Adam. If you look in Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, you'll see the same terminology that he gave to uh, Noah was the exact same command that he gave to Adam. He, God blessed Noah and his sons, and here's what he said to him, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. It's very interesting. And, and, and it's a very interesting, interesting study, by the way, to uh, look at the events that happened around Adam and around Noah and when you compare those things, uh, and we've actually done that, uh, it was probably a couple years back now, um, I, I, I talked a little bit about that on our um, Genesis study, uh, but it's very interesting because you see different events that, that surround a flood for Noah, and you see some of the same events that just happened to surround that, that uh, flood uh, when, when, they talk, when we talk about uh, Lucifer's fall. Uh, but... Noah is at this point to take over where Adam left off, basically, where Adam ended. Because again, in verse 2, he says that he is to have dominion. The dread of, of, and the fear of you uh, shall be upon every beast of the earth. So, so there's this authority that Noah has. There's this dominion. And upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and, and the fishes of the sea, into your hand are they delivered. So, so Noah's taken over, but Noah did not receive any authority for establishing the kingdom of God. Why not? Because he is a descendant of Adam. And if you recall from Genesis 5, Adam began to make or um, bear children in his image and his likeness. And so as Noah is a descendant of Adam, he is made in Adam's likeness and Adam's image. So he is not a son of God. And the kingdom of God is only in those that are in his likeness and his image. 
And I want you to notice while we're on this real quick that there is no, uh, speaking of the sons of God and, and that idea, there's no, quote, new birth in the Old Testament as we know it today in the New Testament. Those in the Old Testament were justified by faith, uh, but nothing of a spiritual nature necessarily took place in their soul or their spirit. Uh, yes, by faith. Uh, they obeyed God, and he was gracious to them, but they were not born again in the New Testament uh, sense of the word. Nothing spiritual, as I said, took place in them because the second Adam had not come. He had not completed his work on Calvary. He had not resurrected, and that is what is necessary to make that new work, that rebirth, possible. And so they were saved uh, like we are in the sense of by grace through faith, uh, but there was not a new birth, as I said, that we know that would accompany that grace. So Noah is spiritually, he's dead as a doornail. And he, he, he does not receive the authority from God over the kingdom of God because he is given authority over the kingdom of heaven, that physical, earthly, literal kingdom. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the what? The earth, absolutely. And so uh, God is making his move, okay? He is once again reenacting his plan, as it were. And so uh, if we see God moving in his plan, what do we need to be on the lookout for? Satan's counter move, exactly right. Uh, we need to be looking for Satan to confound, uh, to counter or counterfeit in some way, shape, or form. And if you know anything about Noah, you know that it wasn't just... As soon as he got off that boat, man, we read Genesis chapter 9, uh, verses 20 and 21, that he began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. Now, being on a boat with that many animals for that long, I can't say I blame him, but he shouldn't have been doing it. And, and, and this is what usually happens, right, when people get drunk. Their, their clothes come off and you start having sex. And that's exactly what we read there in Genesis chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. Because he began to, uh, to, to drink, and it, the Bible says that he was uncovered within his tent. So what happens is Noah's son Ham engages his father in a homosexual act, um, you'll notice that Ham's children, by the way, settle in a place uh, that becomes known for that kind of activity. Uh, we see that in um, Genesis chapter 10 and verse 19, uh, unto Sodom and Gomorrah, as God is laying out uh, this, uh, this lineage and the, the, the land of these sons. Um, you see that it is uh, of the sons of Ham where there is Sodom and Gomorrah mentioned. And that's why the activity is called sodomy. Uh, but the point is that the king of the kingdom of heaven is drunk. He's naked and he's corrupted. And so we see the result in the earth is that the whole earth begins to be filled with corruption once again. <clears throat> and um, 
uh, it results ultimately in Genesis chapter 11, where, where there's a construction of the Tower of Babel, as we know it, uh, and it, it, it's, its goal is to reach up to heaven, and uh, we spent weeks in our Genesis study going over what was going on in the Tower of Babel, so I would refer you to those, uh, but listen, it's the same deal, that which hath been shall be, uh, because Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 13 reminds us that Lucifer said in his heart, I will ascend into heaven. And it was the very same thing that was going on there in Genesis chapter 11. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to ascend into heaven, so to speak. So you can see who is behind this Tower of Babel. And so we see the same thing going on. And so uh, then we kind of work our way through there. And we, we see after the Tower of Babel, God takes care of that whole deal. And he begins to look for a new king to take Noah's place because he's relinquished uh, his crown. And right there in Genesis, or excuse me, chapter 11, God picks up with another genealogy. So we saw one in chapter 5. We see one in chapter 11 there. And the genealogy in Genesis 11, verses 20 through 22, uh, 32, uh, brings us to the next king of the kingdom of heaven. It is none other than Abram. And so I'm hoping that you see why these genealogies are important, because God's doing something in them, all right? And notice what the Bible says of Abraham or Abram at this time. The Bible says that he was a righteous man. The Bible says that in Isaiah 41 and verse 8, God called him my friend. In Genesis 18 and verse 19, he says of him that he will command his children after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord and do justice and judgment. And so Abraham, he takes the throne of the kingdom of heaven, and this king will be hard to overthrow. Because God's doing something with Abraham, something special. He enters into an unconditional covenant of grace with Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Now the Lord said unto uh, Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, and unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless him that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. There is nothing uh, conditional about this covenant, about this relationship. God's going to fulfill it regardless of what uh, Abraham does. Because he, 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 he's faithful to Abraham, but he's faithful to his name. He's faithful to his own name. All right. So for uh, Adam, uh, it was conditional. Uh, for Noah, it was conditional. For Abraham, it is not. And just a few things I want you to note about this covenant. Uh, number one, it's out of his grace that God says Abraham's kingship would not be dependent on his conduct. Number two, he is promised again a literal, earthly, physical, visible domain. Because we see in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 18, in the same day that the Lord made a covenant with Abram, he said, watch, unto thy seed have I given what? Uh, he said, unto thy seed have I given this land. And so Abraham becomes the new king of the kingdom of heaven. And number three, the promise is that the kingdom will be passed through Abraham's seed. 
And you see, a, you see that a lot from this point in the Bible all the way, especially through the book of Genesis, um, where God is reaffirming his promise to Abraham, and that will be through his seed. And man, Satan knows that. He knows that it's through the seed. So he's going to try to attack that seed any which way he can. And that, through the seed, that is how you trans, um, how you track, excuse me, that is how you track the, the kingdom of heaven through the Old Testament. Israel right now is in its uh, embryonic stage at the moment. And it's the kingdom, uh, this kingdom that the apostles were talking about there in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. This kingdom of heaven, uh, it, the kingdom um, being restored to Israel. But take a look at Genesis 22, verses 16 through 18. God says, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee. And in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall, there it is, thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. And friend, you need to keep your eye on that seed. And that particular specific piece of property or land that God gave him in Genesis 15 and verse 18. And it's that piece of property right there that will turn out uh, to be the most contested piece of property all through the Old Testament and all through history. And so after all that ground that we covered so far uh, in this study, I hope that you're beginning to see why that ground in the Middle East is so disputed. Uh, it's that property, that land, y'all, that was promised to Abraham's seed. And through that seed, the kingdom of heaven, that prophecy, Genesis 3.15, so somebody is going to come to rule and to reign over both kingdoms from that spot. And Satan knows it. He knows it, y'all, so keep your eye on it. It's that piece of land that is sitting right there in the middle of three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. It's the same basic area where Adam first ruled and reigned, uh, the same basic area where Lucifer was uh, when he was in Eden, the garden of God. And through Abraham, God points to the direction the kingdom of heaven will take, um, that it will take through the entire Bible, excuse me. The nation of Israel is that marker. That's why I said from the very beginning of this study, don't lose your sights. Proverbs 22 and Proverbs 23. Don't lose the Jew. Don't enter into the field of the fatherless. And so God tells him it's coming through his seed. And it just so happens that the genealogy uh, in the gospel that presents Christ as the king the book of Matthew, uh, guess where that genealogy begins? It, it begins with Abraham. Matthew 1, 2, well, excuse me, 1, 2, Abraham begat Isaac. That's where it starts. And so the kingdom of heaven is passed from Abraham to Isaac. And what, what God does is he keeps renewing this Abrahamic covenant uh, with Abraham's seed. And that's what I was saying earlier. You see all the time God is reaffirming through thy seed, through thy seed. Genesis 26, verses 2 through 4, the Lord appeared unto him and said, um, 
yeah, skip this part. Uh, God re- renews the covenant with Isaac. Uh, Genesis 26, 2 through 4, the Lord appeared unto him and said, go not down into Egypt, uh, dwell in the land, don't miss that, which I tell thee of, um, sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee and will bless thee for unto thee and unto thy seed. I will give all these countries, and I'll perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father, and I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven and will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And listen, you just can't miss it if, unless you're just not looking for it. It's right there. Unto thy seed, there's a physical promise. These countries, this land, thy seed, thy seed. And that covenant always has to do with the earthly, literal, physical kingdom. And I know that I am probably over-exhausting that, but I just want us to grab onto that. Don't lose sight of that, okay? So, so up to this point, the kingdom of heaven, it goes from Lucifer to Adam to Noah to Abraham to Isaac, and then it goes to Jacob. God renews the covenant with Jacob in Genesis 28, verses 3 through 4. God Almighty, uh, bless thee, he says, and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee that thou mayest be a hundred, or excuse me, a multitude of people, and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee. Here it is, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. Uh, chapter 35, verses 10 through 11. God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any or yeah, th- thy name shall not be called any more Jacob. But Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Here's again be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loin. And so in Genesis chapter 35, uh, verses 10 through 11, God changes Jacob's name to Israel, and he lets you know that the kingly line. Man is going to stay in the nation of Israel. And this is just one of the reasons why we cannot forsake, we cannot neglect, we cannot lose sight of Israel. And so the kingdom of heaven, it goes once again from Lucifer to Adam, then it goes to Noah, then to Abraham, then to Isaac, and then to Jacob. And God changes Jacob's name to Israel. And Jacob, or Israel, has 12 siblings, which make up the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And out of those 12 tribes, or excuse me, out of those 12 children, God narrowly, or tribes, excuse me, God narrowly, uh, specifically identifies one tribe in particular, and that is the tribe of Judah. Genesis chapter 49, verses 8 through 10 tell us. Out of the 12, God narrows that kingly line down to one. In Genesis chapter 49, verses 8 through 10, he says, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Watch this. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey. My son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion and as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? And verse 10, the scepter 
shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him all the gathering of the people be. And who do you think Shiloh is? It's Christ. Uh, It means peace bringer. Uh, Judah is the chosen line for the kings of the kingdom of heaven. And by the end of Genesis, Israel has been established as a nation. Uh, They just don't have land yet. And so we kind of go through uh, number seven there, I think, on your notes. After the nation of Israel has been established in Genesis. Um, So in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, God is setting up an outward structure of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Israel is in the wilderness. Uh, They're given the law in these books. and, And what God is doing is he's setting up a theocracy. He's laying the structure. And then you get to the book of Joshua, and they cross over the promised land. And the nation of Israel is uh, physically in the place where the, king, where the kingdom will reign. It's in Jerusalem. And so Satan's object of hatred becomes an entire nation now, not just an individual, as it has been with Adam, per se. It becomes an entire nation And now there are a million more possibilities of producing a real king over both the physical kingdom and the spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God. So Satan is going to go into overdrive with his tactics and his attempts to try to counter, counterfeit, and confound God's plan. Just like he's always done. It's because of what God is going to do with them. He he, he knows that prophecy, y'all. And so you come through the Old Testament and you see Satan doing everything that he can to counter what God is going to do. And in the book of Samuel, God doesn't put a king over Israel. Satan puts a king over Israel. God didn't choose Saul. It was Satan who elevated Saul. It's who the people wanted Watch this, 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 2. This is very interesting. He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man, and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. Does that remind you of anything? Genesis chapter 6. So he ends up doing everything he can to murder, Saul does, to murder the real king that God wanted to put on that throne, who is, of course, David. And have you ever just just stopped for a second? Have you ever wondered why Saul hated David so much? I mean, was it just that he, he because he felt threatened and that David wanted to be the king and so I got to kill him? I think there's something more to that, quite possibly. Uh, But there is, of course, a counterfeit king over Israel uh, in Saul. And Satan knows that the kingdom of heaven will sit on the throne of David. He knows that. So he wants to make sure David never gets to be the king. If I can stop Satan's thing, and if I can stop David from getting on that throne, then I can stop the seed that will be of the throne of David, whose kingdom will be of no end, Isaiah chapter 9. But of course, David does get to be the king. And after the nation of Israel is a corporate nation under the law, David is the first real king 
of Israel. Uh, as Israel is now a corporate nation under the law and under David, man, Israel is on a spiritual high. I mean, they are just moving and grooving. And then it passes to his son Solomon. And man, it's really in full bloom by this point. And it looks as if this will be the beginning of a restored Garden of Eden. But it becomes the beginning of the end in all actuality. And so as you're reading through the, through the Old Testament, you may notice one of, the, one of the, the major problems that Israel always had, one of the key problems that they always had, whether it was the kings or, or just the people in general, it was this problem with sexual immorality all throughout. And so why are all these sex problems going on in the Old Testament? I hope you're starting to put maybe some pieces together with, with the seed that, that Satan is trying to corrupt and, and the, 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 the keys to the, the kingdom of heaven and that one, that one uh, individual who will be able to reign over the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Because remember, Satan is not going to sit back and let God have his way. We need to start looking around, y'all, because an old friend of the family is going to show up in just a minute. Uh, the promise was through the seed, uh, through the tribe of Judah, and, and Judah just happens to have some sex problems going on. And it's coming through David, and I'm sure you may remember that David had some issues with women. Uh, I wonder why. Why through Judah? Why with David? What was really going on with Bathsheba? Satan's trying to infiltrate. He's trying to counterfeit. He's wanting to corrupt. But under Solomon, uh, the kingdom starts coming apart at the seams, man. It really does. Like, it's, it's, I think it's uh, 1 Kings chapter 10, maybe, uh, where it's just like in full bloom. And then I, I, I believe it's just the next chapter, 1 Kings 11, maybe, where it just is starting to fall apart. And you can trace the kingdom of heaven through the nation of Israel in the books that the Bible calls kings and chronicles. It chronicles the kings, y'all. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Why is it called kings? Why is it called chronicles? Those are some of those boring books in the Bible. Well, there's, you can see it. And so just kind of, I put in your notes there an overview or a, a um, kind of a list there of the Old Testament uh, kings of the kingdom of heaven as outlined uh, in your Bible, right? So you have Adam and Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We talked about Judah, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, Abijah, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Ahaza, uh, Joash, um, Amaziah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Amen, Josiah, Jehoiahaz, Jehoiakim, and then Jeconiah, uh, sometimes called Jehoiakin. Um, and, and so just to kind of make a very, very long story short, you have from Adam to Noah. And, and it stops there, uh, or excuse me, you have, yeah, yeah, Adam, Noah, and then so on. But then it stops there at Jehoiakim, okay, right? Just, so just stop right there for a minute. And as far as the genealogy is concerned in Matthew 1, you have Jeconiah, who is sometimes called Jehoiakim or Jeconias. And man, he was a corrupt man. 
This guy, I'll just call him Jeconiah. He was a corrupt man. And so I want to show you something real quick about Israel's last king in Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 28 through 30. Because you'll notice that when God mentions his name, he doesn't call him Jeconiah. He doesn't call him Jehoiakim, as it says there uh, in Matthew. The, 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 the prefix, J-E-H, the J, is missing. J as in Jehovah. You see it right there in, in uh, verse 28. Is this man Koniah, a despised, broken idol? And listen, God is saying, man, this guy is so wicked and he's so corrupt. I don't even want my name tied to him. I don't want my name associated with him. And look what God says about him. This is very important as we're tracking the kingdom of heaven. Is this man Koniah a despised, broken idol? Is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure? Wherefore are they cast out, he and his seed, and are cast into a land which they know not? O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days. For no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. This man was so corrupt, God just stops it right there. And at this point, the kingdom of heaven, it disappears from the earth. And, and uh, the nation of Israel essentially has been completely dethroned. And the date is 606 BC when the nation of Israel is then taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And Israel, man, they try to make a comeback uh, in Ezra and in Nehemiah there, uh, but they never become the world power that they once were. And listen, Satan has gotten that kingdom again, and he's not about to let it go this time. And so you get to uh, the end of your Old Testament there. Uh, um, I'm doing it again. There we go. Not yet. We're not there yet. So after Israel is, I'm just so excited to get to these places, y'all. I just skip a whole bunch. So I'm trying to get my head back on here. But after the nation of Israel goes into captivity, both the spiritual kingdom and the physical kingdom are gone from the earth. And when the physical kingdom went out, Satan took it over. And whoever would get the world domination would have to get it from him. They'd have to get it from him. And this is what begins the times of the Gentiles. And as I said, through, through um, Ezra and Nehemiah, Israel's trying, man, to, to, to regain uh, that, that power that they once were. But it just doesn't happen. And Satan has got that kingdom. And so then you get to, to Malachi and, and the conclusion there in Malachi and, and, you know, that page in your Bible, that blank page or two or whatever it is. That's 400 years of silence. No, thus saith the Lord. No um, revelation to the prophets. Nothing. And so the Gentile nations, man, they've been running the earth. And really, it's in keeping with Daniel's prophecy. Uh, it passed from the Babylonians. As I said, Israel was held captive by them. So it passed from the Babylonians 
um, the Medo-Persian Empire, to Greece with Alexander the Great. Uh, then uh, in, in approximately uh, 30 BC, Rome comes into power. And after 400 years, a voice cries from the wilderness. And it's the voice of John the Baptist. And in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2, you see what his message is. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is that literal, physical, messianic, or messianic, excuse me, Jewish kingdom. And these Jews, man, they knew what he was saying. It wasn't that he meant to say the kingdom of God. It wasn't that he, he was just saying something they had no idea about. They knew about the kingdom of heaven. They knew of their ancestors and their fathers, 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 and all of that. They knew about the kings. And so they knew what he was saying. And so the Messiah comes to offer the kingdom to the nation of Israel. Uh, and you see in Matthew chapter 3, uh, where John the Baptist, essentially at Jesus' baptism, he puts his stamp of approval on Christ. Look what it says. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven. And here's what it said. This is my beloved Son, a son of God, is now on the scene. This is that promised one, y'all, the one that they have uh, been waiting for. A son of God is on the earth again, the seed of the woman of Genesis 3.15. And so you go to Matthew chapter 4, and you see his temptation where Satan... It shows up once again, as he always does, right? God's moving in Matthew 3. Satan comes up in Matthew 4. And what's he offering Jesus? He's offering the kingdoms of this world and the glory of those kingdoms. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory therein. And he says, all these will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And at this point, the political kingdoms of the entire world, y'all, were under Satan's control. And that's why he could offer them. But Jesus came for more than just the political kingdoms of the world. And that's where Israel messed up. That They forgot that any king who would be the real king over the kingdom of Israel would have to first restore the image of God that was lost. Because though God called out Abraham and offered him the kingdom of heaven and that it would pass through his seed, every king in Israel had the same problem. It was one problem and it was the same one. They were, all of them, spiritually dead. They had no ability to rule over the kingdom of God because they were not in the image of God. They were made in Adam's fallen image. And so they couldn't wear the crown of the kingdom of God. And the Jews rejected the Messiah because they forgot that. Before God would get the kingdom of heaven back to them, he, 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 uh, where he wanted it, so to speak, uh, the king over that kingdom would have to restore the citizens of that kingdom back into his image. And as we talked about, I think it was last week, John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, uh, it says of Jesus, as many as received him, to them gave he the power, or gave he power to become the sons of God. 
And not one of those kings could do that until John the Baptist introduced the one that they were looking for, the one that they were waiting for, only Jesus. And when Satan is, is there in Matthew chapter 4, what he's trying to do is get Jesus to bypass the kingdom of God by tempting him with the kingdoms of this world. He's trying to get him to bypass the kingdom of God and just take the kingdom of heaven, just to settle for half the deal. He's trying to get him to take the physical without having to pay the price to actually put sons of God back on this planet again. And I want you to remember uh, God's original plan was for Adam to populate uh, the earth with sons of God. So I want you to see what Jesus is preaching here in Matthew 4 and in Mark 1. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, uh, in a very, or the same account, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And you'll see a lot of times where Jesus is saying one or the other. And that's why a lot of, uh, quote, scholars or, or, or biblical professors will say that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are the same thing. Why does it say that? It's because the image of God is back on the planet, and there's a son of God in town now. And this is where most people get messed up. They're not the same. Jesus is just the embodiment of both kingdoms. Just like they were both present with the first Adam, they were both present with the second Adam. So you have the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, and God's plan has always been to fill, fulfill both kingdoms. It's always been his plan. And that's why all through the Gospels, when the Jews would try to make Jesus king, what would he say? It's not time yet. Because the price had to be paid first to restore that fallen image. His heel had to first be bruised so that he could bruise Satan's head. And so when Jesus came on the scene, Jesus was offering the kingdom of heaven to Israel. And most Christians miss this when they're going through the Gospels. They're in Matthew chapter 10. Look what he said to his disciples. Verses 1 through 5, uh, he, he calls him unto him the 12 disciples. He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Uh, he gave it to his disciples, by the way. Uh, Verse 2, now the names of the 12 apostles, you see Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, um, uh, Thaddeus, uh, Simon, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent forth. And I want you to see where he sent them forth to. Matthew 10 continues, and he commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why? It's not being offered to Christians right now. It's being offered to Israel. And so you get there to Matthew chapter 12. Um, where the religious leaders of Israel, uh, they commit the unpardonable sin uh, by attributing the words and the works of Christ, the Messiah, to Satan. And so Israel is rejecting the king, uh, rejecting their promised Messiah. Uh, first, it happened when they killed John the Baptist, who, again, was preaching the coming Messiah. Then it happened with the preaching and the teaching of Jesus, of course, whom they crucified. And 
By the way, do you remember what Jesus prayed on the cross there in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who's them? It's Israel. What are they doing? They're crucifying their king. And you know the father answers that prayer? He forgives them. Because as many of you know, he gives them one more chance to accept the king, to accept the Messiah. And we'll get there in just a moment, but listen, just real quick. We've covered all this ground to get us to this point right here. Because you can't understand Acts chapter 1 without getting the things that we've talked about regarding the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And if I, if I bored you to tears, then kudos for staying in there. If I still have you, uh, then look there in your notes in Acts chapter 1. After the resurrection, verses 1 through 7 there, Jesus, as we've talked about a couple times before, he, he's teaching on the kingdom of God. He's opening the eyes of their understanding. Uh, Luke 24, 45 says that. And so then they ask, in response to his teaching of the kingdom of God, they ask about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom being restored to Israel. And I think now we understand why they would ask that and what's going on. Um, and honestly, if you're grabbing onto the things we're saying tonight and over the last few weeks, you are head and shoulders above most nearly all commentaries that you can find at Lifeway right now. You, you, you really are. Because they just don't get it. They're asking about a different kingdom. And so Jesus said it isn't for them to know the times and the seasons. Uh, it, essentially, he, he refuses to commit an answer to them. Why does he refuse to commit an answer to them? Well, it depends on what they're going to do with their last chance. And so in Acts chapter 2, you have the day of Pentecost where Peter is preaching a kingdom message. It's still offering, he's still offering the kingdom to Israel. Uh, there's a strictly Jewish audience there. You'll notice in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 5, uh, verse 14, uh, verse 22, verse 36, ye men of Israel, men of Judea, he, he's preaching a kingdom message. And that's so important because it's at this time the kingdom is being offered to Israel. And then you get to Acts 3 through 5 and all of them, everything in there, they're all second coming messages. The coming of the Lord. And they're all being preached to Jews for the purpose of bringing them to repentance and to believe that Jesus is the king over the nation of Israel. Because as far as they're concerned, man, it can happen at any moment. He can come back. And then you get to Acts chapter 6, where, where there's a Stephen who is chosen as a deacon in Acts uh, 6, 8. And there are great wonders and miracles that are uh, being done among the people. And Stephen's preaching, man. And verse 10 says that they couldn't resist his wisdom. And then what they do is they get men to accuse him of blasphemy against God. And they set up false witnesses against him. And so in Acts chapter 7, you have Stephen's message to the leaders of the nation of Israel. And what he does is he starts from Abraham and he walks them through the history of their own nation. And in Acts 7.54, they stone him. 
Jesus at this point is standing because this is Israel's last chance to receive the Messiah. And if they would have accepted that message, Jesus was standing ready to come back and set up the kingdom. Because at that point, y'all, all the Old Testament prophecies could have been fulfilled. The Jews were in their homeland. The Antichrist was, was in place, uh, typified in Judas, uh, who was already in the bottomless pit. Uh, the right nation was in power, Rome. Everything was in place. And had they received the Messiah, Daniel's 70th week would have gone into effect, and Jesus would have come back. But it didn't happen. Because Acts chapter 8 and verse 5, after the stoning of Stephen, there's a transition that takes place. They rejected. And this is how you know that that was their last chance. Because Acts 8.5 tells us that Philip goes down to the city of Samaria. And remember Matthew 10, what Jesus told his disciples? Uh-uh. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't even go to the Habsies. Don't go to the Samaritans. He says, don't do it. But now someone's going to Samaria carrying a message. And then in verse 12 of Acts 8, the kingdom of Israel is no longer being offered to the Jews at this point. It is the kingdom of God. A transition is happening. Um, again, Samaritans are half Jew, half Gentile. In verses 26 through 38, uh, there's a man of Ethiopia who is a Gentile that is receiving the message. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, Saul, uh, is different than Old Testament Saul, obviously, is converted in verse 6 there. And in Acts 9, 15, God says that he will be a chosen vessel to bear his name, God's name, to who? The Gentiles. And so the kingdom of heaven at this point, it goes out. And we, we formally enter the church age. And we go, we don't, we don't preach a kingdom message. We don't preach a coming Messiah. We don't preach a, 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 a physical kingdom. We are not part of a physical kingdom. We preach a spiritual kingdom. We preach the kingdom of God. We are called to go out uh, with that commission to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth with sons of God. And God is saying to a group of people tonight at One Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, will you make sons of God? Are you making sons of God? So we blow it. We're too busy. We're too busy making our own houses and our own kingdoms the way that we want them. We're too busy with vacations. We're too busy with TV. We're too busy with work. And just like Adam, and just like Noah, we blow it. And so during the church age, the kingdom of heaven is at hold. 
And, and that's, that's what the millennium is, y'all. After the rapture, the kingdom of God goes out with the church. The Antichrist establishes the false kingdom of heaven. Uh, the false Christ rules and reigns on the earth. And at the second coming of Christ, the true king brings the kingdom of God back as the glorified church. He sets up the kingdom of heaven as the king over the nation of Israel. He rules and reigns from Jerusalem for a period of 1,000 years. And at the end of that time, Satan is loosed. Uh, God hammers him down, destroys the earth with fire, and he creates a new heaven and a new earth. And that is the theme of the Bible. It's his kingdom glory, y'all. And I don't know where you are on this, but is that the theme of our lives? Is Christ's kingdom glory the theme of our lives today? Awkward silence. Based on how I spend my time, based on how I spend my money, based on how much time or, or how consistently or, or what my time with him looks like, based on what, what I'm doing with the gifts that he's given me, is Christ's kingdom glory the theme of my life or is Robert's kingdom glory the theme of my life? And I really hope I'm making you uncomfortable. Because the days are short, the time is, it's near spent. Not my time here, though it is. But I mean, you know, if we can just, if we can just filter every day and see every day through the lens of this book and the judgment seat of Christ, the day might look different. Our, our, our messages might be different. Our, our music, our singing might be different. If we didn't just see this as a place where we come on Thursday nights and sit while a dude just blabs at us for an hour, and we're really thinking, man, I got to do this when I get home, and tomorrow I have this, and this weekend, and... and uh...